We each week visit with Tom Gimbel. Here we go again with the CEO from LaSalle Network. Tom, a few minutes ago, we were talking to Eric Zorn about these various polls in the mayor's race. One of them caught your eye. Which one is that? Well, I think what we're seeing is that uh, Mayor Lightfoot is falling far behind, and we're seeing the the rise of Paul Vallis, and obviously Chewy's always in the running. And the one thing that we, the asterisk we put by that is that a lot of these polls are being conducted by the campaigns themselves. Are you seeing Vallis rising across the board in the various polls? Yeah, it seems like, and I've been doing doing quite a bit of research, and I'm not shy to say that I think we need a change in, in leadership for the city, and I think that Paul Vallis is the right guy. Um, and at the same time, the numbers are, are illustrating that. And I think what we're starting to see is is a separation of of the socialist um, extreme progressive agenda that that's been there and somebody who's just simply left of center and i think what we're seeing in the city with the shootings that have happened uh that have gotten a, a lot of publicity recently and the crime that's been going on that um the residents are ready for for a change and i think we're coming out of covid uh, we're out of covid we are looking at, did you see, I don't know if you saw that Disney's back in the office four days a week for their corporate offices. I did not see that, but I was, I forget who I, oh, I know. There was a, survey, a story yesterday, the day before, that said that um, big major businesses that are back to four or five days a week are doing substantially better than those that are doing hybrid. Yep. And now you're seeing that the big, the big tech workers, which were the first ones to say remote work for everybody for forever, and now they're laying people off, so those jobs weren't as good. And now we're seeing stuff come back to people coming back to the office, John, and we need to pe- people to feel safe. People, people don't want to rock. I was almost going to sign a lease that was a great deal for my company in office space, and the access point to get there was the red line. And I have 385 people, and I had to turn down that deal because my staff, primarily under 35-year-old and 70% female, didn't feel comfortable on the red line. You described one of the candidates or polls or positions as socialist. Who are you talking about there? Oh, I think it's, a, I think it's across the board when you're talking about, about wealth redistribution and about wanting to, to continue to give things away, whether it's Brandon Johnson or Mayor Lightfoot herself and, and what we're doing and and I think, you know, it's a little too late. When you start to see politicians throwing things against the wall to see what sticks, like a, a new soldier field three months before the election, you're seeing people try to, where was that for four years ago before the problems? And I'm not even saying it's her. It was, it was as much Rahm Emanuel for letting things go too long with the Bears. But just in general, we've got a crime issue. We're going to ha- probably have a little bit of an unemployment bump. We've got vacancies in, in real estate. We've got high taxes. We've got Brandon Johnson talking about raising taxes on certain groups of people, which would defer, deter business from coming here. And I think we've got to look at this and say, when you have an economy, the, reasons, the reason more of that progressive liberal agenda became so popular, and I'm not even knocking it, John. I'm just saying the reason it rose in the mid-teens 2010 to 2019 was because everything was great in the economy. All arrows pointing up. Now we've got a situation where all arrows aren't pointing up and you can't run the same, the same uh, playbook. Yeah. When everything's great, you can afford to give things away. When things aren't great or on the verge of not being great, you've got to run a tighter ship. What are the, when one of your parents, 
Go ahead, finish that thought, Tom. No, I was just going to say, you know, when both when when you when you have a, a dual income family and and both parents are working and getting raises and bonuses, you can afford to do vacations and buy new cars. When one of them loses their jobs, you don't spend the same way, or you end up in debt. It's the same thing with a with an economy. When the market's up, when unemployment's low, things are great. You can do whatever you want. But when you have vacancies in your building, crimes up, interest rates are higher and we're on the verge of a bump in unemployment, you can't do the same business model, John. That's our friend uh, Tom Gimbel, the founder and CEO at LaSalle Network. By the way, the Sun-Times did dedicate considerable space, even in the headline, to that Brandon Johnson proposal to tax at a rate of 3.5% the high-income earners in Chicago. He said, that is not my position, and the Sun-Times is, in fact, retracting that. So you'll hear a different version of that story, but your criticism of Lightfoot and Johnson are noted, and your enthusiasm for Vallis is too. That's Tom Gimbel. And my enthusiasm, John, isn't just for Vallis. My enthusiasm is for what's great about Chicago. Chicago is an awesome city, and I think we all know that. And we've seen it come. We, you and I both remember when River North was a cesspool, and that wasn't that long ago, 30 years ago. And now River North is vibrant. 40 years ago when Wrigleyville was nothing, and now it's vibrant. And we've seen Maggie Daly Park, and we've seen all this great stuff in Chicago. And now we have, we have carjackings, and we have drive-by shootings, and we have, we have crime in these areas that are, that are good neighborhoods. And we've got people who live in poverty areas that want the crime fixed there. And we have police officers that aren't allowed to chase down people. We have, we have uh, public or uh, uh, state's attorneys that won't prosecute cases. And, and we need more. Um, we need safety for the residents of the city, period. We need to fix the crime problem. Tom Gimbel, founder and CEO of LaSalle Network. Okay, Tom, we got you, and we'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it, John. Stay safe. Rob Foytek joins us, Vice President of Neighborhood Strategy at an organization called Choose Chicago. You've heard about them before. We've talked to them. Welcome back to the show, Rob. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Talk to me a little bit about these underrepresented neighborhoods and tourism in there. You guys actually acquired a grant to this effect, right? That's right. And so we've been working with neighborhoods directly for the last two years. Uh, it grew out of the city's recovery task force, uh, which was an effort to make sure that the recovery was equitable and that we could um, solve some of the, the, the long-seated uh, problems in our city uh, and look at it as an opportunity. And so we've been working with communities across the city, very much following their guidance on how to promote their communities. Uh, and so we've recently won a $5.5 million grant from the city over the next three years uh, this is from federal funds um, in the American Rescue Plan, uh, and this will allow us to continue our work and then um, also, as you mentioned, expand into 12 additional neighborhoods uh, across the city. I'm looking at the list of neighborhoods, and we'll talk about those in a second. They are diverse, but um, what do you do then? Like, if you're promoting tourism, is it flyers? Is it online presence? What do you, what do you, do you actually conduct the tours? Talk about that. Sure, sure. And so, of course, our city is diverse and our neighborhoods are all very different. Um, and so, you know, what works in Lincoln Park doesn't work um, in Chatham. And so, and, you know, what works in Rogers Park doesn't work in Little Village. And so we really go to the community and ask them uh, to tell us what they value, um, how they want to be promoted, um, the types of tourists that they want to be coming to their community and spending dollars. Um, and so we, we do that in a number of ways, uh, largely through digital and social media. We work with local residents to actually create the content for us, so it's very authentic. 
um, I always point out, right, we're not, we're not marketing a new Apple Watch, right? We're marketing um, a place where people live um, and spend their lives. And so we really want to make sure that we're doing that in a way that, um, one, captures the, the, the real, you know, secret neighborhood gems, but also um, does so in a way that's respectful of the community um, and its history and culture. And so we do a lot of digital and social ads. Uh, we do out-of-home media as well, like billboards and bus stops, that sort of thing. Um, we provide uh, certain tools like uh, a data dashboard that uh, helps focus marketing dollars on, on those people physically coming to the neighborhood. Um, and, and finally, we support the special events. Uh, we know that our city comes alive, especially in the summer, but, but really all throughout the year. Uh, with special events across the city, whether that's the dragon boat race in Chinatown um, or, uh, uh, you know, a, a dumpling fest uh, uh, on the north side. And so whatever it is, we're, we're there to help support what the community needs. That's tourism. Uh, but I was almost describing it as tours per se. Is there a program to actually lead people through these neighborhoods? So um, True Chicago does have a program called the Chicago Greeter Program. Um, it's entirely volunteer based. Right, right, right. Um, and so. And so folks coming into Chicago can always request one of those um, through, through that website um, at, at ChooseChicago.com. Um, we, as a neighborhood uh, strategy program, don't do any tours, um, but we do work with a lot of, um, of our local chamber partners who have uh, tour operators there um, who do great work and who will often contract with uh, when we need to. So while you have 18 already in place, the new ones that you're adding are Auburn, Gresham, Austin, Back of the Yards, Inglewood, Lincoln Park, Lincoln Square, New City, North Center, North Lawndale, Roseland, South Chicago, and Hyde Park. Uh, boy, that is diverse. I mean, Inglewood could not be more different than Lincoln Square. And I can imagine what a tour in Lincoln Square looks like, or Hyde Park for that matter. Inglewood is a different animal completely. Um, and frankly, I'm glad to see that because while Inglewood might not be ready for prime time, it's part of Chicago. We, we have to stop ignoring these places and just hoping they'll get better. Uh, if, if we can do something to promote even tourism in Inglewood, I like that idea, but I wonder what that would be like, too. Sure. No. And I think you, you, you bring up a good point, right? Um, not all of our neighborhoods are created equal. And I would say not all tourists are created equal too, right? Um, the people yeah. who, uh, who come downtown, right. And enjoy our beautiful world-class city. They're not necessarily the same people, uh, you know, who want to go to Albany park and try out um, some really great Korean restaurants. Um, and so, um, and they're not the same people who want to go to little village and they're not necessarily the same people, right. Who want to go to Inglewood. And so when we are working with the community, we always ask them, um, you know, who, who is coming here now? Tourist doesn't have to be, right, uh, the nuclear family from Iowa with a big camera around their neck, right? It could be somebody from the other side of the city. It could be someone who used to live in the neighborhood and yeah. doesn't anymore, yeah. right? It's really, it's all about bringing dollars into a, into a community or, or into the city, right? That's, that's what tourism is about. I think that's a really good idea. I think that's really well put. Rob Foytek is the vice president of Neighborhood Strategy at Choose Chicago. Want to find out more? Click on ChooseChicago.com. We'll talk again, Rob. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Right now, let's talk about what's selling and not on Wall Street. This is the Trust Business Lunch on WGN. Jason Turner is the Chief Investment Strategist at Wintrust Wealth Management. Jason, what's, um, what are the hot commodities these days uh, in the markets right now? Well, we're seeing, at least for today, some mixed markets with uh, with the S&P 500 basically flat for the day here, John. We've seen 
though more recently, some of the more traditional value areas in the market in the fourth quarter and the beginning of the first quarter this year do a little bit better than some of those growth stocks. And there you're seeing a divergence between uh, the Dow is up today and the NASDAQ is down. Dow's up today, NASDAQ is down. That's not all that uncommon these days, is it? No, that's pretty consistent with the way markets have moved at the tail end of last year and the beginning of this year. I was with a friend at the Blackhawks game the other night. He's into money management, and he chastised me for even caring about the Dow. He said, it's 30 stocks. Why do you fret about that? I said, because that's what we do. <laughs> that's, yes, that's, that's what grabs the headlines. It is the bellwether, and it'd be better if we followed the NAS, well, the S&P. If, if, we, if, one, if one index mattered to you and maybe to me, it would be the S&P, I presume? Yep, for, for large-cap U.S. stocks, the S&P 500. And then the NASDAQ is more tech-heavy, right? Correct. And then the Dow is the 30 biggest, uh, I guess, companies in terms of valuation, which matters, right? I mean, it's not like that's an insignificant group, even though it doesn't have that many members. True. Uh, it does tend to show us the direction of markets, but you do get deviations like we're seeing today. And so, in general, then, is this is everything still predicated on anticipating what the Fed is going to do? Much of what markets are waiting for is some definitive result from the Fed, whether we will continue to see rate hikes or they will take a pause. Uh, also, markets are going to be very focused on economic data as we move forward. And are you expecting 25 basis points or do you think 50? Uh, that, I guess, is the uh, the $64,000 question. Uh, from a expectations perspective, uh, I believe we're going to see the Fed carefully consider the options. But at the end of the day, um, I think we actually will probably see a 25 basis point move. 25 basis points. And what's your general forecast for this year, then, is... Are prices going to come down as quickly as possible? Are you optimistic or are you cautious? Uh, on the price front, I'm pretty optimistic that prices and inflation will fall faster than the Fed had uh, indicated in their fourth quarter estimates when they put those out at the last meeting. Uh, there are just enough headwinds to inflation growing, like we've seen with natural gas prices here and in Europe most recently that price pressure should start to recede, particularly if demand stays low, as we've seen in the last couple of months. Yeah, but that's about inflation. Uh, what else are you thinking about when you forecast this year? Uh, talk about the markets again. What about those indexes? And for the rest of this year, our forecast would be that we see volatility continue in the markets uh, in, in the balance of this year. We're still looking at a likely recession occurring at some point uh, towards the end of the first, beginning of the second quarter, maybe well into the second quarter if we can really avoid it, uh, but a short and shallow recession at that. And if that does occur, you will certainly see volatility in markets leading up to it and through it. But if that projection holds, markets should turn around and rally towards the end of the year uh, and set us up pretty well from an economic growth and market growth perspective in 2024. I don't know if you saw Paul Krugman's piece in the Times today, but he said this worry about the debt ceiling and are we going to raise it and what's going to happen if we don't, what's going to happen between now and June. He wasn't that worried about it. Um, not that we haven't been here before. This is a maybe uniquely divisive time, but he, he didn't... Um, he actually mocked the quote-unquote serious people that run around telling us this is a really critical crisis, and he didn't buy into that. Where are you on all of that? 
I would largely agree with his comments. Uh, the the dance over the debt ceiling is, in many respects, political theater that both sides can use to to raise money in advance of, of the next round of elections. It also means that we won't have some sort of resolution to this until the last minute. Uh, if the Treasury can, as uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen says, extend until June with what she's calling extraordinary measures to continue to pay the bills and the like, um, we likely don't have resolution for the next six months. And that's at best political theater because the the opposite side of the coin, the idea of the United States actually defaulting on its debt is is relatively catastrophic for markets, for the, the economic growth of the country, uh, really for the global economy by extension. And, the, and, and I think the scary part about that is that there are some people in the Congress who either don't understand that or just don't care. And the way they're pitching it is we have to stop spending. But my understanding is that this debt that we would default on is debt we already have. It's not new spending that the Democrats want to go on some spree. It's an obligation. So you can say what you want about how irresponsible government is, but we have to fund those bills is that a fair read of the landscape in this case, Jason? Yeah, that's a fair read, John. The the payments we're talking about defaulting on here are payments on already issued U.S. debt. Yeah. And it's backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government. If that full faith and credit falls apart, uh, that is catastrophic for the global economy. You do wonder, though, well, where else are you going to go? Like, all right, so we were late on a payment. I've been late on a payment before. So, I mean, is is it really that bad? And and if you, I don't mean to talk politics with you per se, but the fact that the Biden administration says this is non-negotiable, um, I wish they would say it's non-negotiable about the debt we have because we've already sp- incurred that obligation. But yes, we will negotiate with you on future spending. We've got to get it in check. They seem to be, their heels are so dug in on the fact that we're not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling, that uh, raising the debt ceiling, that they fail to say that we will try and resolve this issue in the future. I, I wish they'd speak more like that. It's very frustrating for us as, as outside observers of that process to, to deal with the rhetoric where it sits now. But some six months away from actual default, uh, I wouldn't expect either side to move from their their heels dug in position too much, especially in public comment. Now, behind closed doors, what do we probably end up with? A moderate cut to spending and a, a modest increase in taxes somewhere on the margins that makes both sides happy enough to extend the debt ceiling is probably the outcome we get, but we probably get it at the 11th hour. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the 11th and a half. That's Jason Turner, chief investment strategist at Wintrust Wealth Management. Wintrustwealth.com is the website. Thanks, Jason. We'll talk again. Thanks, John. We've got more business news now with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. The Chicago area's industrial vacancy rate is at a record low, hitting 4.5% at the end of 2022. According to data from Colliers International reported by Cranes, that's more than 1% lower than 2021. The report says developers broke ground on an unprecedented amount of warehouse space last year, with construction starting on 88 local buildings. The hot streak has seen those developers tearing down office campuses to build warehouse space. While demand has slipped, it's still expected to be enough to fill all of that available space. 
Chicago's Northern Trust is cutting jobs. The largest locally headquartered bank is eliminating 300 to 400 positions as it tries to cut costs and please investors. The job cuts will happen across the bank's global footprint and no specific locations have been identified. The bank employs more than 21,000 workers, so the cuts amount to about 1% of that workforce. About 6,000 people are employed by Northern Trust in the Chicago area. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Trust Business Minute. And now the business of food, and Steve Alexander. Yeah, you know, we're talking about what could be the food business opportunity of a lifetime today after I thank the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Okay, the job opportunity of a lifetime. How about driving the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile? Twelve recent college graduates are going to be hired to travel the country in those great big wieners. Yeah, there is more than one. There's six that are in activation, and there's 12 drivers every year. Yeah, they're called hot doggers, and they'll drive about 20,000 miles during their year on the road doing meet and greets, as the, yeah, that's spelled M-E-A-T, and greets as the brand ambassadors for Oscar Mayer Wieners. Zach Chatham used to be one. My four former hot dogger name was Zach in Cheese. And back in 2020, when he heard about the job, he said, hey, Dad, what do you think about this? And he pretty much gave me no other choice because my great-grandfather drove the Wienermobile in the 70s. Get out. Uh, yeah, so I had the chance to become a legacy wiener. <laughs> Okay, the uh, deadline to apply is next Tuesday. Do you have any tips for aspiring hot doggers, Zach? Do not try to treat it like a corporate job because nothing about it is corporate. Be a little out there. Be goofy. You know, this seems like a great gig for somebody who's just out of college and who is eh, footloose, fancy-free, which Zach was not. For my first month on the road, I actually got engaged and we did this huge thing in front of the Wienermobile where we did a proposal and ended up on like Jimmy Fallon and CNN. She said yes. But definitely the challenge was trying to balance a long distance engagement. That was a unique and new experience for me. One of Zach's best memories, and there are many, including getting engaged, was when they were in Indianapolis and he had always wanted to see the Indy 500. So they drove the Wienermobile over and there was nothing going on. So the guards let him in and they drove a couple of laps. It can really haul buns. <laughs> the Oscar Mayer hot dogger position is the dream job you never knew you wanted. Again, next Tuesday is the deadline to apply. You can do it online and you can find the link at WGNRadio.com. Frank's a bunch. It doesn't hurt to be a little punny, too. From the farm to your belly, today's National Peanut Butter Day. Crunchy is the right answer. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Nicolette Peters joins us now, the public investment strategist at World Business Chicago. We saw a story the other day, Nicolette, about this Chicago Chicago Food Stop, where vendors maybe on the south side are able to sell their stuff in the old John Hancock building space at the at the mall area there. Welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about that. Hi, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so the Chicago Food Stop is a new pop-up located in the ground floor of 875 North Michigan or the old um, John Hancock building. Um, we're showcasing over 60 products from through businesses all around the city of Chicago, um, including lots of South Side businesses, um, West Side and North Side. Um, yeah, it's a project that was um, done with the city of Chicago, the Mad Mile Association, and World Business Chicago. And it was also funded through a grant that was part of Chicago's COVID Recovery Task Force. So it's not just featuring South or West Side, but businesses throughout Chicago. And is it always food or are there other products? Uh, yeah, it's 
the theme is uh, food innovation in Chicago. So we really wanted to showcase how Chicago has always been a center of food innovation. Um, we have a really cool exhibit from the Chicago History Museum that shows some of those examples from the past. Um, and then we have three different kiosks. Uh, one of them is uh, headed by the Greater Chatham Initiative. So they specifically have a lot of Southside businesses. Um, so we're really excited to feature them in the space. So I have tried, I had a fruit jerky. Think of it as dried fruit, more in the shape of fruit, in the shape of uh, beef jerky, say, kind of a flat stick that's somewhat pliable. I had the mango, it's like a spicy mango fruit jerky that is delicious. It satisfies that crave if you want to chew something like a beef jerky, but it's evidently mango. It was really a, a clever food, and it was a really good food, Nicolette. Yeah, so that uh, was a product by Watermelon Road. Um, they're sold in Here Here Market, which is one of the kiosks. They're an online marketplace that features a bunch of Chicago land businesses. So they have over 40 Chicago businesses there. But that was one that you tried. Um, yeah, like I said, the whole idea is showcasing Chicago food innovation. So I'm glad you got to enjoy that. Give me some examples of other things people would buy at the at this pop-up yeah so uh we also and i think another product we sent you all um the hair a spice um it's a small business from logan square that was founded by afghan immigrants and farmers um so they uh wanted to bring in a lot of the spices and flavors of afghanistan and a percentage of those profits go back to a children's charity in afghanistan um, we have another really cool uh, vendor right there right now called Irby Pop. Um, it's a black and woman founded brand. Um, they sell popcorn and their whole idea is kind of tasting the world through popcorn. So each of their popcorns are like cuisine inspired. I um, mean, you can even get like a pack that has all 15 flavors and you can kind of taste taste the country that way or taste the world that way. I've been smelling the Afghanistan authentic saffron from Hira Spice. Uh, it's a beautiful little jar. It's a beautiful little red spice, and it's quite a unique aroma. Um, I don't know what I'm going to cook with that, but it's... <laughs> and then there's the S-F-E-R-A, Safera, Sicilian street food. Looks like a jar of um, sauce, right? Yes, yes. It's a, they're pasta and they're chili oil. They are located up in Edgewater, I believe. Um, they were founded by just two friends who really enjoyed traveling to Sicily um, and wanted to come back and bring a taste of that and kind of mesh it a little bit with the Midwest. They have a, they make like a the Sicilian style pizza and they have a version of it that's kind of a Chicago Sicilian style pizza. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm also sampling here the uh, Afghanistan wild mountain cumin, which uh, is 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 really nice. Um, so these businesses, Nicola Peters is on a phone line. She's the public investment strategist at World Business Chicago. And we're talking about this pop-up over at the Hancock building called Chicago Food Stop. And is this going to be there just for a limited time or is this how permanent could this fixture be, Nicola? Yeah, we're currently planning to be there through the summer. Uh, we have a lot of fun events and programming coming up uh, on our Instagram, Chicago Food Stop. Um, we're posting when we have tastings coming. So a lot of the local vendors 
um, the owners will come in and do a tasting. So we're posting all of that on, on our Instagram, that schedule. Um, and then we have a couple other really cool events coming up. Uh, one of them is National Pizza Day, which will be on Thursday, February 9th. Hmm. Um, Chicago is actually the number one city in the U.S. for pizza making, which is kind of crazy. Um, so on that day, we'll be having a panel with lots of local Chicago pizza vendors uh, to just talk about talk about the awesome industry. Well, I'm not surprised that we would be the leader. I'm glad that we are. Better us than Detroit or New York or any yeah. of those other posers. Nicolette Peters, we'll uh, talk more about this down the road then. Congratulations. Keep up the good work. And our best to all the vendors there. Let's support these Chicago businesses. Cool. Thank you so much.